I'm Chandan Narayan. Um, I, you know, I work on music. I have a deep interest in um, 78s from South Asia, particularly South India. Uh, you know, there's cultural connection, um, family connections. Um, but I'm also interested in lots of music, you know, punk, rock, uh, California music. And uh, I'm a uh, professor of linguistics at York University in Toronto, Canada. Um, play music, do, do linguistics, make fun artifacts, listen to 78s. That's, that's kind of what I do. <laughs> uh, and the main thing we're talking about today is the most recent release, which is a collection of 78s from uh, Tamil Nadu, correct? Correct. So it's mostly, um, mostly Tamil Nadu and, um, yeah, I think I think all uh I take that back. One of uh one of the performers, actually two of them are from uh the state of Karnataka. At at the time it wasn't known as that. It was known as the state of Mysore. Um so but mostly Tamil Nadu. That that that's kind of the heart heartland of of Carnatic music. So and 78s is not a usual thing to collect as much. The main thing I was aware of 78s is from uh, the experimental British artist, The Caretaker, um, and his work of collecting pre-war 78s and sort of messing with them. Where did you find these, uncover these, and start getting interested in listening to this music that's kind of pre the vinyl format we think about today? Um. You know, I think it started out. Uh, I, I'm 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 friends with a guy named John Ward, who um, has a um, who had an online kind of blog called Excavated Shellac um, in the mid 20, 2000s, 2010s, um, and I, I I got to be friends with him because. I happen to have um, a, a small collection of uh, of um, Hindustani 78s, uh, pre-war 78s. So I was studying, I have been studying for the past about 10 years, this instrument called the sarangi, which is a three-stringed, uh, three-gut-strings bowed kind of folk instrument um, with about 30 sympathetic strings. Uh, I've, I've been studying that instrument and um, I really got kind of deep into Hindustani music um, so much so that, you know, I would, you know, my, my dad would go to India uh, about once a year um, and I would ask him to, you know, ask, talk to relatives, go to, you know, my poor dad, you know, go to thrift shops, antique shops, and try to find whatever 78s he could. And he started bringing me back a couple um, every now and then. So I, I amassed a small collection and then I would, you know, hunt them down um, uh, myself online uh, through some collectors and do some trading. Um, 
And I don't know, something is really enchanting about the format. Um, the fact that it's not vinyl, the fact that it's made from this kind of natural product, this lack um, uh, that is abundant in India. And so that's kind of where the, the industry really took off. And so, you know, the more you, you get into it, the more you realize that there's like thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of 78s in India uh, in some condition uh, or the other. But this particular, you know, I, I I was really into classical music. It's kind of, you know, people think of Indian music as kind of Bollywood or, or, or kind of the film dancey kind of music, which is which is fine. But I, I, I was really getting deep into Hindustani music. And of course, at that time, I was really, you know, there's a kind of American connection to it, to the avant-garde, um, you know, of the 50s, 60s, 70s. Terry Riley, Pranath, um, these guys. I was, I knew about that stuff, and I was, you know, familiar with that music. So it was a, it was a nice connection. But the Carnatic stuff, you know, is it, it was it came a little bit later. My family is South Indian, um, and so I had, I had exposure to to Carnatic music, but I hadn't really thought about collecting seventy eights um, until my dad brought. You know, he we we have a relative, and they had they had a little big collection of seventy eights that um, he brought back for me, and I I went and also got some back, and that's that's kind of when I started getting into the Carnatic stuff, and I also started studying the Vina, which is a which is a plucked kind of a it's a four string, really kind of traditional South Indian instrument. And so um, all that kind of came together and, you know, I had all these 78s. It's, it's kind of nice to share it with people. Although a lot of the stuff is online, you know, you can, I mean, people in India post this stuff on YouTube, which is, which is fantastic. But I, I, I really wanted, I'm, I'm kind of of a old school DIY create things like, you know, t-shirts when I was a teenager and punk bands but like making making objects so this this collection I, I i made into a um tape that is uh in the form of a match box you know i don't know if you've seen the pictures of it it's mm -hmm. pretty cool i was pretty happy with it i found um this really attractive matchbox label because there's a ton of these online too um and i assembled these boxes and put little like a striking you know, strip on it of sandpaper and it made these little artifacts and um, it's really cool. And, uh, you know, it's, people seem to enjoy it. And I, I enjoy the process of making it too. So. So that yeah. gives me a better picture. So my best friend, his family's from Hyderabad and mm -hmm. I kind of, he listened to some of it. He was giving me some of his thoughts on it. And then I have another music connection here in Austin, who's from Sri Lanka. Um, mm -hmm. And so we were talking about this stuff and one of the things that kind of came up was different eras of South Asian music, different eras of Indian music. As you said, when people think of it, sometimes they think nowadays of like Indian music is Bollywood and you have to kind of go through in some ways and rediscover this, especially if you're an ocean away, um, an ocean and a continent and hemispheres away from yeah. where it was um, 
where it was all coming out. And I wanted to know kind of on the 78 side of things, as you're playing these songs because of the fidelity of them, sometimes the low end or the rhythm kind of gets a little bit stripped away or a little bit amorphous and vague. And I was wondering, outside of sounding kind of older, do you think that gives anything else to these songs or these productions? Um, The acoustic fidelity of, I mean, there's lots of things, there's lots of layers to, to peel away there. There's, you know, there is the, the actual physical age of the material itself and the hands that it has been, you know, that have touched it and that, you know, the, the gramophones with, you know, crappy needles that have scratched it. Um, you know, literally you go to India and, you know, these antique shops or thrift stop, uh, shops, these records are, you know, used to, you know, as doorstops, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so, so there's that kind of crust on the records and, and, you know, I do my best to clean them and, but like there's, you know, but I'm not the the you know some 78 guys are like deep into this and so they have different uh needles and specific cartridges made for different um uh manufacturers of these 78 so you know there were different uh record you know publishers like columbia or hmv um broadcast megaphone um so you know each each of these manufacturers would have a particular uh method of actually cutting the record and so certain needles are best suited for certain brands of record so there's that kind of um acoustic uh artifact that's left on this physical medium but then the the thing that you're talking about with the low end being kind of absent is really interesting. Um, it's true, like, especially with the acoustic recordings where they're literally, the performer is is trying to move a needle um, that is attached to a giant kind of, you know, cone, right? That's the microphone. There's no uh, electric transmission. Um, the higher end of the spectrum is what tends to move the needle. And so, um, you know, those basier tones of, um, you know, the Mridangam or the Tabla, say, in the North Indian case is really kind of lost. And so you hear that tingy sounds, right? Sounds like somebody, you know, snapping on a tin can. Um, But that's just what, what, gets transferred as a result of this um, kind of high pass filter of the, of that uh, recording method. So like, you know, singers would um, artificially, uh, you know, um, increase their pitch, you know, so like, it's very common for, for men um, to have this kind of artificially um, affected falsetto because it it carries better onto the disc, right? Um, and so, 
you don't see that too much in the South Indian stuff, although my next tape is going to be um, vocal um, Carnatic music. And so uh, there are a couple of discs that I, that I uh, pulled out the other day that I was like, oh, this would be really cool because the guy sounds like a woman singing, um, but it's really this kind of affect as a, as a consequence of the, the uh, medium of um, acoustic recording. So I work at University of Texas and I had an ethnomusicologist friend of a friend. And he's like, where's the Madonga? That was like literally yeah. what he texted me. And he was like, oh, it's getting he like I got a live text from him basically as he was like listening to it and being like, oh, it's getting like washed out because the fidelity of these. And as you were saying, like, that's just an incredible image to have like a 78 with this music and it's a doorstop somewhere. And you're yeah, like, yeah. that's going to affect yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And, you know, it's amazing that I mean, I'm sure you've handled 78s before, but I can't tell you how many times I'll, you know, buy a 78 from some, just a person who's not a collector or just, they, they just like, oh, you know, here are my dad's records from, you know, 80 years ago, right? I'll send you some and they'll just, you know, wrap it up in newspaper and send it to me and, 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 it'll, and I'll end up with like, you know, shards of, of shellac, you know, it's, it, it's, um, so it's amazing when you actually do get these, these records in one piece, you know, oftentimes there'll be like chips on them, you know, it's, um, it's kind of, it's kind of beautiful. And, and, and I, I, I can't really speak to, you know, there, there's some like through like 78 heads who, who, who are really deep into it, who can, probably talk more eloquently about it but there is something really kind of magical about it um you know apart from just like the spinning transmission of sound but like having it you know be so old you know over you know in most cases in my question over 100 years old um and on this medium that is so fragile you know it, it's it's fragile and it's not fragile like if you if you drop it in a particular way, you know, it may survive, but if it just happens to hit at some kind of, you know, sensitive point, it'll shatter. You know, it's very, uh, it's very, um, it's not very forgiving, but like, it's amazing that so much has lasted for so long. Yeah. You were talking about how common shellac was and how many 78s there probably are out there from this era. era. Were, do you think or know that the majority of this music released on this tape was recorded in the way you kind of talked about earlier, where you're playing literally into a horn and trying to get the needle to move? Um, I could have done more research and found out. Some of these artists are, uh, you know, it's pretty clear that, you know, these were probably wartime or just after the war. So, you know, 40s um early 50s I, I i don't know if there's too much later than that but like um for the most part i think these you know uh on that tape they were um pre-war um so maybe the onset of electrical recording um the the true acoustic recordings you don't find much in way of instrumental music uh, simply because it doesn't it doesn't show up on on the recording, you know. So, um, but and in, in the next tape that I'm that I'm doing, it'll have um, 
pre-war singing. So, and, and, and that, you know, there's much more ability to modulate your amplitude um, in order to actually make an impression on the master disc, mm -hmm. right? So You had talked about a couple of um, very specific instruments from this era, era and area. And when I was looking up some of the performers on here, um, there were a lot of word spills over the violin player on this, um, especially the fact that if I was reading correctly, he had a seven string violin he had kind of yeah. invented. Does yeah. that pop up in the recordings or this tradition more four string? You, you can um, in in his particular recording. Mm -hmm. Are you asking? Yeah, I mean, I mean, his recordings, I mean, um, the I suspect that he added these strings in order to, um, I, you know, they were doubled up strings for the most part, um, and in order to increase amplitude, um, uh, in order to give, you know, it's in order to to carry, you know, especially like, you know, and again, if you're performing, um, this was at a time when when music classical music was really kind of not performed um in front of large audiences right it was mostly patronage by a king who would have performers come and perform for him in his boudoir or whatever um but at this time it's when it's moving into the public realm and so if you have a stage and and a a room you want to be heard and if you have some sort of rudimentary microphone that's great but if you don't how how is somebody in the back of the room going to hear hear your you know otherwise really quiet instrument and so i'm 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 guessing that's why he he added these strings and it gives his strings kind of you know like a 12 string guitar sounds sounds like a 12 string guitar it has this kind of kind of meatiness and so his his violin definitely has that 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 kind of tone to it. It's interesting. This is something I've wanted to study for a couple of years or write on, which is how the setting where music is played will start to change what instruments seem to pop up more and more. Um, I have sure. a friend who's really into Irish folk music, and he was talking about where you know if you're in a small contained space like a bar where you're assuming it's going to be loud you keep having instruments double each other on the melody, uh, a right. violin and the, or fiddle, I should say, and a guitar or a fiddle and a vocal harmony with it. Just the basic acoustics of it are you need that for it to be catchy and actually heard. And what you're describing heard. is kind of this over a couple of decades sea change of literal acoustic recordings with pushing the needle to electric, which changes your entire spectrum of what you're able to record then of course we're listening to it now and it's changed again because the fidelity's changed i know i know i know it, it, it's 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 pretty pretty amazing to have this acoustic or sometimes an acoustic recording pushing a needle scratching you know etching some sort of a master disc which you know is then pressed and onto shellac which 100 years later ends up in toronto on my you know, Lenko turntable going through going through my uh, my Scarlet Focusrite DAW device into my Mac. Literally, <laughs> what I'm recording off of right now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, and then you know, and 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 then I'm 
you know, sending it to a tape duplication place where they're putting it onto tape. You know, <laughs> it, it, it's it's kind of I I, I can't think of any um, other type of reproduction. And I mean, I don't I don't know how visual you know like printed. I, mean, I suppose we can do something something comparable with with you know some you know typeset book you know that's then somehow OCR digitized and then uh, you know printed out on the laser printer and then scanned back in and then faxed somehow, and then faxed, faxed right yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So we are like almost like a not just time wise, but reproduction wise generations down, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You were talking about kind of this music maybe being played for Royals or King and their, uh, you know, their uh, entourage. Was the proliferation of recorded music and the ability to play it in the home? Was this the time period where that kind of started exploding and started changing how folks were able to consume music for sure um for sure and 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 it was really i mean i uh it was really kind of the birth of this um middle class um i mean i would think it was a, a status symbol to have some sort of device that would be able to 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 play these records um and so uh you know it's um it coincides with probably um the radio or the popularization of radio in in south asia um and you know these the these records made people made these artists stars. You know, they were like the whatever Lady Gaga's of 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 of, of their time. You know, they were well paid uh, if their records sold. You know, and um, uh, you know, and, I mean, usually the, it was the case that people who were already popular in the concert in the concert um circuit were the ones who were tapped to make these recordings um and then they just become household names like you know chaudaya the uh, violin player was is a household name um uh the one of the veena tracks shan mugavarivu her um daughter uh is ms subalakshmi who is probably the most famous Carnatic singer of the 20th century. You know, she performed at the UN. Um, she, you know, she was hugely, hugely popular. Um, and all of that is, I, I think, this kind of coincidence of, of moving from, you know, uh, paid patronage to the concert stage, to radio, to, having that meet you know that sound in your home and um being able to you know reproduce it over and over and over again 
Um, but yeah, it's really it's really interesting. There's a lot of things that I I think coincide. It's it, it's especially in South India. It's it, it's kind of um, the you know a lot of Carnatic music is religious music. You know, it's kind of I like to think of it as like gospel music. You know, it's it's the, the themes are are all about God. You know, um, Hindu God, um, as opposed to the Hindustani music, where where you know there's there's much more kind of secular themes. So in South India, I think it really kind of solidifies this um, this cultural um, connection between between music and uh, devotion. In going from that, this much of this may have started from kind of patronage playing. And now that you've kind of made the connection to gospel music, do you know what combination of this music was either memorized sheet music or improvised? Um, none of it was sheet music. <laughs> none of it. Uh, none of this music is written down. It's, it's, it's very much an oral tradition still is, you know, um, you know, maybe, you know, some, and, and, and you know, these are, for the most part, you know, the the Indian music writ large, whether you're South Indian or North Indian, has this concept of raga, which, um, you know, is kind of, it's, it's a, it's a ascending and descending scale. But then it's much more than that. There's, there's, you know, particular combinations of notes that are common in certain ragas. Um, there's a particular emphasis on certain notes um, that define the raga. Um, and so the raga will have a composition portion to it, which is something that, you know, we all know how to sing Yankee Doodle, you know, uh, Yankee Doodle. But based on those notes, I might start off riffing on those notes before I get to the composition, right? So um, that part is kind of the um, unique thing um, in Indian music again both both sides so but but none of this is written down there is some composition that will be you know we'll hear similar composition or the same composition sung by different singers or played by different players and we'll recognize the the tune but then they will do their own thing in certain portions but the, but the, the thing with the shellac is that there's no time right for for um that sort of elaboration. So, so what you get is the composition. Um, but on the tape, there the, it opens up with a few of uh, pieces called uh, Raga Malika, which is a string of different ragas. So it's like imagine I, you know, uh, um, uh, am singing the notes of Yankee Doodle, but then I morph that into the notes of amazing grace or and then i morph that into the you know notes of summertime and then i morph that into the notes of of whatever popular song you might think of but these are ragas and so some combination of notes leads to another combination of that. so that's called a raga malika which is a string or a garland of of um ragas and so the the tape has a couple of them by these vena players um, starting off, so it, it's there's no composition there, but um, but it's uh, you can tell. Do you have any idea like what 
how this Karnatic scene compared to maybe other Indian states at the time? Because you're primarily taking from Mysore and Tamil Nadu. I think uh, they, you know, so the British, like, like the, the people who were actually making the recordings, um, um, Madras was a, was a major center. And so um, I think Madras, Hyderabad, um, not so much Bangalore, I don't think. So people would travel to Madras or Hyderabad to, to actually make these recordings. Um, also keep in mind that, that this notion, that, that this idea of states is kind of a relatively new one, yeah. right? So there was probably much more malleability. Um, you know, some of these, per, some of these, you know, performers are from what would now be Kerala, what would now be Karnataka, but, um, and, and they would probably speak their own, you know, languages at home, but these compositions that they're performing, um, you know, they're, they're, they're set to lyrics and stuff. And so, so all these instrumental performances do have lyrics to them, but, but they're performed on an instrument. So you can't, you don't know the lyrics, but the lyrics might be in, you know, Canada or Telugu or Tamil. Um, so just depends on who, who the composer was. You were saying these places where they recorded these kind of, I don't know, shellac production facilities, pseudo record labels, these were British? British for the most part, yeah. Yeah, British, um, American, British. Um, they would send the, whatever the, I don't, I've been doing this for so long. I still don't know how, like the actual process of making the record, like which one is stamper and the like master, which one comes first. But anyway, these recordings were sent, were then sent to Calcutta generally, which is where the huge uh, production factories were. Um, Calcutta was like the, you know, very, very uh, prolific um, colonial seat you know for the british and so they uh all, all the manufacturing and stuff was what was out of there i don't i'm not really sure if there was if if there was actual production uh in south india i could be wrong um but for i for some reason i i seem to think that these were sent to calcutta where where they were mass produced um and then redistributed within india and around the world for it, it's it's mostly in india though yeah and these become as you were saying earlier going from patronage to stage to in your own home alongside yeah. the radio almost a yeah. signifier of like a rising growing middle class of consumers it's really interesting yeah. anthropological and yeah uh, i know like i know i know there. i know i know i know i, I know and in, in another life or maybe after i, I retire i want to there's some there, there's some things that I want to um, work on, and one of them is this idea that in South India, you know, uh, there is a lot of religious um, Sanskrit chanting 78s that were produced a lot, and um, it what it, what what I've I have a feeling that it it, it really kind of codified particular ways of of being a religious Hindu um, in terms of the types of prayers that we all, that I grew up hearing my parents saying, you know, and that I ended up 
learning as well. So it, I think the 78 had a lot to, to had a big role to play in, in uh, normalizing a particular way of, of um, chanting Sanskrit. <laughs> Which so, is really so it becomes like the pop culture version because it's so widespread and it's what everybody knows because it's through rather than I mean it is also religious text and religious practice, but this is through consuming something, buying a 78. Right. Right. Exactly. You know, like, you know, if um you know we you know, Ike and Tina Turner might have saying, I heard it to the or or, or um uh proud mary right mm -hmm. but ccr's version is the one that most everybody kind of knows because that's that's just the one that was always around right but there are all these other versions of it but but that kind of becomes the the um the, the canonical version I, th I think that happens too with 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 these uh religious 78s that was my main stuff about the, this release i wanted to talk a little bit about your some of your other stuff, especially your Alter Destinies prehistories and then Hindu Magic <laughs> exhibition. And it mostly because of um in the notes for those on Bandcamp, it was kind of like using history or magical realism or like a different version of history to kind of create a setting because you would be using more modern recording techniques, maybe your, you know, focus right scarlet electric guitar all of these things but combining them with maybe certain scales or ragas or stuff like that and i was just wondering yeah. what what draws you to kind of creating these settings these mashups of history and present within your own composed music um that's a really that that that's a really good question i, I mean i um i've always been interested so the themes in that I use in that band Karam um, are really kind of, um, you know, the Indus Valley civilization is something I've been, I've been really interested in for a long, long time. It's like, you know, this civilization that existed before maybe the migration of the Aryans, Indo-Aryans, whatever you want to call them, into the subcontinent. Um, and their history has been lost. Um, their uh, language is really kind of um, unknown for the most part. I mean, there's a lot, it's a very controversial, it becomes a very like hot topic political thing, but I, I, I'm, I wanted to use somehow a magical version of what went on there to inspire music that I in, instrumental music that I enjoy making um and so I kind of did this mashup it's kind of fun to have like a concept with um music you know like Zen Arcade or something um you know very uh you know it's 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 kind of um tongue-in-cheek a little bit but like it's also you know, these are fun things to think about. Like, you know, what if there was, you know, this, you know, CD bar in third uh, millennium BC Indus Valley, and there was a big fight, and 
and one of the one of the guys in the fight like conjured a crocodile to attack his his enemy um what would be the soundtrack to that you know so like that's kind of what i was what what i was going for um and and all of these those recordings i pepper them with 78 um samples so um there i i forget what like some of them are from like i have a i have some anthropological 78s of recordings of tribal languages in india um so some of them some of them use that i um have 78s of you know folk music from afghanistan which i which i use on some of those tracks um it's all just kind of a fun uh made up reality <laughs> you know um so that's kind of the inspiration and and you know it, it it was really a project of um being out here in canada where you know i didn't know very many people and most of the people i played music with were in michigan um and so i would compose these things and I'd drive down to Michigan and play with my band and we'd record them. Um, and that's kind of how, how it all came about. And we have, I've never played a show um, with, 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 with this music, although I would, I would love to, but I don't know if I would uh, remember how to play the tunes at all <laughs> at this point, you know, but yeah, that's kind of a fun thing. I have a new project um, with where I play Lena um, it's kind of improvised um, Vina with some modal like themes, um, but it's more more like kind of like um, I don't know if you know the guitarist Derek Bailey, mm -hmm. um, but kind of really like a naive approach to this very traditional instrument um and it's it's that vina with a very um kind of heavy big percussionist um or, or percussion sound made by my friend marshall who um plays in a band called black spirituals um and so this is a this is a new project it's vina and and percussion the concert concert based drum snare and cowbell <laughs> so yeah. that's that that should be out i mean i'm i'm going to post those those this small ep this weekend which which should be fun and then we're going to do another recording uh when he's here in june he's um he'll be here with he's in a band with john dietrich who plays in a band called deerhoof um mm -hmm. and oh, yeah. uh right and um uh, Raven Chacon, who is um, another artist, instrument, multi-instrumentalist, Pulitzer Prize winner. <laughs> anyway, they're going to be up here, so we're going to make another recording. So there's that one, and then Carnatic recordings focusing on vocals? Vocals, yep. And then there's another, I have another project. Uh, it's not me. It's a guitar player named uh, Warren Ng. I'm, I'm, the, the goal of this label was actually to release music by Asian Americans um, or, you know, people like me. <laughs> um, 
So I'm, I'm kind of focusing on that for now. So um, Warren Ng is, uh, he's a guitar player in New York and um, he does like really kind of beautiful guitar soundscapes a la Lauren Mazakane Connors or um, or an Ambarkey, somebody like that. So kind of big sounding guitar scapes. Do you feel like there's any connection between your work in linguistics and the communication of music, how it communicates with people? I don't know if it has that relationship, um, but there's definitely, I'm, I'm really interested in, in sound. Um, I'm a phonetician by profession. So I'm really interested in, in speech sounds, acoustics, um, the possibility of, of kind of rudimentary, it's not rudimentary, the voice is not rudimentary, but like kind of something, you know, physical media producing um, a multitude of sounds, whether it be a guitar or a vena or a, or a drum or a voice. Um, not so much, you know, like, I mean, I, I appreciate kind of uh, music made on computers and stuff, but it's kind of not my, not my thing. I'm really interested in like what, what objects can do, what voices can do. Uh, in that sense, there might be a connection. Um, with the Karam stuff, I was really, you know, I, there, there, there's some, you know, moribund or dead languages that are on there, recordings of them. That's kind of kind of interesting and special to me. Okay.